Thanks for listening to the Imago Day podcast. If you live in the Portland area, we'd love to invite you into the life of our community. You can find out what's going on at idcpdx.com slash events or on social media at Imago Day PDX. Today's teaching text is from the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 42, verses 22 through 26. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall with bitterness. Archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and the womb. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Luke. Good morning, Imago. So um, I'm, I'm bringing me sermon today, right? But before we do that, I just want to give one more shout out to the Bible Project. I mean, I'm not the Bible Project. Sorry, Bible Project, not you. Um, to the Water Project. <laughs> yes, because here's the thing. They're the ones who are getting the water. We are the ones who are getting the blessing. And it's important for us to understand that if you really want to see who God is, what he looks like, you want to encounter him, and we all say that we do, then it's a matter of remembering to feed the hungry, to give water to the thirsty, to visit the prisoner, to care about the sick, That is the thing that actually helps to change and transform us. And also, I would like to actually say something about that Christmas dinner. I did that last year. It's a huge, huge similar blessing on this side of the ocean. So if you can participate in any way, shape, or form, please do. Please, please do. Um, it will not only care for and love on um, people. You, I can't even explain it. I just have to say, go do it. And I need you to trust me. And I need you to participate. So it is Advent. And as Chris said last week, we live in the tension between um, two arrivals. And it's important for us to actually consider that At the beginning of this church calendar, our our series is called God Arrives in the Dark. And the first week we talked about how God arrives in our waiting. And then we talked last week about how God arrives when we are confused about what it is we need to do. This week I want to talk about how God arrives in our woes, in our pain, in our suffering. Merry Christmas! And I want to use Joseph as our story today, as our person. A little brief backstory on Joseph. Joseph was one of the younger sons of Jacob. He was Jacob's favorite son because he was the first son born from his favorite wife, Rachel. 
Now, we think of Joseph as favored because his father bought him a coat and all of these really great things. And his father was pretty obvious about how he cared about his son. So he, he treated him differently than he treated all of his brothers. And therefore, his brothers hated him. Hated him so much that they sold him into slavery, tossed him in a hole, and then took him out and sold him into slavery. And he became a slave in Potiphar's house, a, a guy named Potiphar. And also he ends up, Potiphar's wife ends up kind of, you know, fiending after him. And he gets in trouble there because he says, no, I'm not into you. I'm just not that into you. And it didn't work. And so she accuses him of, of assaulting her. And he ends up in prison. And then he gets out of prison and all of that. So I say all of that to say... We're not going to spend a great deal of time in Joseph's story, but for those of you who don't know who Joseph is, that is who Joseph is. Now, God arriving in our woes and in our struggles, that's not really a new idea. When we look in the Bible, we see stories about Job. We see stories about David in his cave. We see stories about Sarah, who was in the shame of her infertility, Jonah, who was in the belly of a whale. We see the woman at the well who was thrown away and neglected and lonely and uncared for. Lazarus, who God visited in his grave. Paul, who got visited in prison. Paul, who was visited by God when he was running from people. Paul, when he was sick. Paul, shipwrecked. Paul, beaten. Paul, just about anywhere in the Bible, we find him. What do you need? See, it's the earring thing again. I asked about it early in the service. I said, do I need to take this off? And somebody said, no, you do not. And so I left it on. But that's okay. It is off now. No clicking. Wait a second. This one's clicking now. Jeez. This earring thing is just going to be a problem for me. So I should just never wear earrings. And the sides of my head will disappear because I have very small ears. Okay, so God visiting us in our pain, God visiting us in our woes. So when we think about this, we see this all over the Bible, but I, I, I wanted to talk to you about Joseph today because it's more of an obvious and not so obvious picture of how God visits us in our pain, in our suffering. It's obvious because when you read the story throughout it, you see this phrase that repeats itself over and over. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. But it's not so obvious because the struggle that we have with Joseph, we don't actually see him struggle like we see Job struggle. Or we don't see him running the way we see David running. And we don't really see him suffering with shame the way Sarah was suffering with shame. Or at least it's not talked about in the story of Joseph. So it's not so obvious. And so then that begs the question, if God was with Joseph, why didn't he protect him from his brothers? If God was with Joseph, why was he trafficked into slavery? If he was with Joseph, why was he sent to prison on false charges? If God was with Joseph, why was he allowed to languish there? And so these are questions that we might ask ourselves, and these are questions that are not immediately answered in the story 
of Joseph, and we're scratching our head for most of the story of Joseph, especially if we're people who are hurting or suffering or who've been betrayed like he was or who, is, who are suffering under the weight of our, our own lives the way Joseph is. And while we're at it, we just ask the question, why doesn't God just fix it? Why doesn't he just fix it? Why doesn't he just end it? Why doesn't he just take care of Joseph and heal him and protect him? Why doesn't he show up and show off? He's God, right? And so these are the questions that we tend to ask ourselves when we are struggling and when we are suffering. And I think Joseph asked all of those questions. I believe he was as confounded and as anxious as we would be if we were in the same circumstances. But we don't see it within his story. So we have a tendency to believe that either Joseph just handled everything perfectly and perfectly well, or like I said, we're scratching our heads. And so there's this belief in our minds that Joseph did everything right and he did everything perfectly. Because typically in the Bible, when people aren't doing things right, somebody says something about it, right? But they don't really say anything about that with Joseph. And so he walks through this whole entire story and we don't see a tear fall from his eye until much later in the story. And so we have a tendency to put him on this pedestal and think, Joseph did everything right. There's an author named Jonathan Eig, and he just recently uh, released a book called King, A Life, where he talks about the life of Dr. Martin Luther King. And it's a really honest, clear-eyed look at who Martin Luther King was. And he was in an interview and somebody asked him about that, how he talked about not just the really great things that King did, but also some of the, some of the sketchy things that he had going on in his life. And one of the things that this writer said, first he said the thing that impressed him most about King was King's faith. And when he said this, the, interview said, the interviewer said to him, yeah, but what about all this other stuff? And one of the things that Jonathan Ige said about MLK is he said, by hollowing him, we, by hallowing him, we hollow him. And by that he meant that when we treat him as if he was perfect and never made a mistake, we create this hollow being that we can't relate to. We separate him from his humanity and his ability to help us because we can't relate to him. And I think this is what happens to Joseph, that by hallowing him, we hollow him. This is a man who, he gets from this place of how he's got brothers who hate him, he's betrayed, he's orphaned, he's trafficked, he en endures this trauma, he ends up in prison, he's lonely, and he gets from all of that to this place in Genesis 50, where he says, don't be afraid, I'm in the place of God. He says this to his brothers when they're afraid that he's going to take revenge on them. And he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Now he gets from that place to this place, and we don't know how that happened. And we need to see the journey of Joseph if he's going to offer us anything to help us with what it looks like for God to meet us in our pain, then we need to actually see a really good, honest look at Joseph. 
Now, few lives are as dark as Joseph's was. And we're told that the Lord was with him in that darkness. But it's hard to reconcile those two truths, right? Joseph's life was dark. God met him in that darkness until we see his life fleshed out in the text that we have, which is his father's blessing. Now, a little background about that blessing. Jacob gets to the end of his life, and he decides to bless each one of his sons. And he's very specific about how he blesses them. And he's brutal about how he blesses some of them. It doesn't even feel like a blessing. Reuben, his oldest son, he basically says, you're the oldest son, and these are the things that you are owed as the oldest son, and you're not getting any of them because you slept with my wife. Just saying. It's like, it's like I'm going to bless you. You slept with my wife. You get nothing. You know, and then he's got Simeon and Levi, and he says to them, you guys, you're my sons, and I bless you. You're too angry. You're not getting a blessing either. And then he finally gets to Judah, and he basically says of Judah, he says, you're going to be the guy that the Messiah is going to come through, not the oldest, not the second oldest, not the third oldest, but the fourth son. And he says, the scepter will not depart from Judah until he to whom it belongs shall come. And that's a shout out to Jesus, the Messiah, much later on. And we'll talk about Jesus a little later. By the time he gets to Joseph, he has already adopted Joseph's two sons. And by adopting those two sons as his own sons, he has now given Joseph the double portion that Reuben would have gotten because he's giving one to each of his sons. And he's, his blessing for Joseph is like the coat of many colors that he gave him when he was younger. It is an obvious, clear indication of his favor to Joseph. It's beautiful, and it's the biggest blessing that he could possibly bestow, bestow and it is specific to who he is. But this is the picture of what it looks like when God arrives in our pain. And I know this sounds odd, but I promise you, it is. The first thing is that God arrives in our pain and in our woes invisibly but indelibly. He can't always be seen, but his presence cannot be mistaken or forgotten. Verse 22 says, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. Henry Nouwen says, we are called to be fruitful, not successful, not productive, not accomplished. Success comes from strength, stress, and human effort. Fruitfulness comes from vulnerability and the admission of our own weaknesses. And so when we think about what it means to be fruitful, the assumption is that Joseph is vulnerable, that Joseph is dependent, much the same way that a, a vine that is going to be fruitful is dependent on its water source, is dependent on the vine, is dependent on the roots. Psalm 1-3 talks about the person who has delighted him or herself in the law of the Lord. And it says that that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does prospers. Jesus in John 15 says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. Remain in me, abide, be attached, rest in me. And also I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
It must remain in the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the Lord who was with Joseph, he could do nothing. It required that he stay attached, that he stay with the vine. We see what Paul would call the fruit of the Spirit in Joseph. Kindness and love and joy and all of those things. It's a mystery how those things are formed in each of us. And yet they're unmistakable because a tree is known by its fruit and by its fruitfulness. People have been through a lot. They, you, they tend to have more compassion for other people. And we don't know how that compassion is grown. We don't know how the joy of somebody who's been through so much can actually be seen or understood. It's a mystery. And yet we know that, like my grandmother used to say, you don't know, like I know, what God has done for me. And so when you think about it in those terms, that person who knows and understands that they have that deep and abiding relationship with God, that it, it produces a fruitfulness, and oftentimes that deep and abiding love comes when you are in trouble and when you are struggling and when it's hard. I know that you hear C.S. Lewis and that, that quote, you've heard it many times where he has said, God speaks to us, what is it? He whispers in our pleasures. God speaks to us in our conscience and he shouts to us in our pain. And I gotta say, I disagree. I think he shouts. I think it's not that he shouts at us in our pain. I think it's that we shout at him. I think it's that we are the ones who whisper to him when we're having a pleasurable life. And look, I know it's C.S. Lewis. And he is my boy. I think he's wrong about this. Because the times that I have struggled, that's when I shout. The times that I am struggling, those are the times when I'm questioning whether or not I hear God at all. I'm asking whether or not he's there. God came to Elijah in the still small voice. And Elijah was going through some serious pain and fear and struggle at that time. So I'm not so sure God shouts to us in our pain. I know I shout to him in my pain. And that's probably one of the, one of the, the benefits of me going through my pain is that it reminds me that I need to shout. Praying people, people with a deep connection to God, have a different way about them, don't they? Pope Benedict XVI said, people who live with that kind of hope, they just, they just look different. Which brings up the question, what do we mean when we talk about the goodness of God or that God loves? What do we mean when we say that. I know you hear it all the time, but what do we really think is happening? The goodness of God. In our pain and our suffering, we begin to understand that to say that God is truly good, it goes beyond mere kindness and comfort. He's not a pair of soft slippers or a lazy boy chair. The desert, says the prophet, is the glad place that there is a voice whispering in your ear, this is the way, walk in it. Be still and know that he is God, says the, says the psalmist. And he says, because there are hidden rivers under the ground and they will refresh you in your dry seasons. 
The fact that we can't see God doesn't mean he's gone. And when we hurt or we're harmed, it doesn't mean he stops being good. In The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis says, the problem of reconciling human suffering with the existence of a God who loves is only insoluble so long as we attach a trivial meaning to the word love and look on things as if man were at the center of them. And so oftentimes we will think of love as something that always makes us feel good always makes us smile, always makes us happy. When we say, I love you, what do we mean when we say, God loves you? So God comes to us in our pain, invisibly and indelibly. But secondly, when God comes to us in our woes, he reorients what pain has disoriented. Now by this, I don't mean that he puts things back the way they were. He pretty much never does that but rather he puts things where they should be when pain disorients them. Verse 23 and 24 says, With bitterness, archers attacked him. Talking about Joseph, they shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Now here we get a glimpse into the place where God met Joseph. He wasn't unaffected by his brother's hatred. He wasn't calmly carrying out his duties in Egypt. He wasn't calmly going through his prison sentence. In fact, he has to pull it together when he finally sees his brothers because the weight of all that has been happening to him just falls on him and he cries when he sees his brothers. And the thing is, is that he's gone through this, this difficult place and the, the, the passage says, that he is strong, that his strong arms stayed limber. King James actually gives us an even more convoluted but actually better picture of it. King James says, the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. It's a big old word salad, right? But it's actually a picture. If you've ever had to help a kid do something, ride a bike, shoot an arrow, throw a ball, hit a ball with a bat. What you do is you tend to actually get around that kid and you hold their arms, right? Hold their arms while they hold the bat. That's the picture. It says that the arms of Jacob were strengthened. Why? Because the God of Jacob was holding the bow and aiming it while he shot. And so that's where the strength comes from. There are some things that we get wrong about God and pain. We have a tendency to think that God and pain are partners. That pain is there so that God can prove how strong we are. But the truth is, is that in our pain, we are showing the world how strong God is. He is fierce, and he is jealous, and he is a consuming fire, and he's the cut man in your corner in the boxing ring. He's Angelo Dundee to your Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali said, only a man who knows what it's like to be defeated can reach down to the bottom of his soul and come up with the extra ounce of power it takes to win when the match is even. Now that's true of us too, except that our power comes from a deeper and more powerful source. 
But only a man who is defeated can remember that he's got that kind of power. The power, it says in Ephesians, that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that we have access to. And we don't often find out that we have that kind of power until we need that kind of power. And so God meets us in those places with that power. Paul talks about having a thorn in the flesh. He goes up to the third heaven and he sees things that nobody else has seen. And then he says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, he says in 2 Corinthians 12. A messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It was given to him to keep him from conceit. But notice how he says it was given as a gift, a messenger of Satan to torment him. And then God said, my grace is sufficient my power is being made perfect in your weakness. God is not partnered with your pain. God is partners with you. The thing that I love about that passage is that while we wait, we learn that we live in the tension between the third heaven and the thorn in the flesh. We live in the unfinished. We know that Jesus has come. We're waiting for him to come. And often in the middle, in that waiting place, we're unfinished. And pain is both our undoing and it is the invitation to turn to the God of Philippians 1 and 6, who is faithful to complete the work he started in us. We are his poetry. We are his workmanship, it says in Ephesians 2.10. Who would start a poem and not finish it? And so God meets us in that place to help finish us. A prison cell, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, in, one, in which one waits and hopes is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom had to be opened from the outside. And he says, that's not a bad picture of Advent because we are in this, in this place where pain has a way of weaning us from the pull of the earth by reminding us that it cannot hold our tears and it cannot carry the weight of our hearts. Only God can do that. And so we wait. We wait for his arrival in the dark place. So one of the ways that God reorients us when he meets us in that space is that he recenters us. He gives us a new center in our pain. Joseph, at the beginning of his story, is centered on his father. He's centered on himself. He's centered on the hatred of his brothers. He's centered on his dreams. By the time he gets to the end of this, by the time he is endured, he comes to this place where in that blessing, Jacob talks about a mighty God. He talks about the God of strength. He talks about a shepherd the caregiver and the guide. He talks about a savior. He talks about the rock of Israel and that's protection. And the psalmist says that the rock is where I go when I feel overwhelmed. Who is God? How is he going to be strong if we're never weak? How is he a savior if we're never in peril? 
How is God high if we never go low? How can he give us grace if we're never humble? Who is God? To ask that question is to also ask, and who are we in his company? Joseph says, am I in the place of God? He now has a new center. He has centered God. When he talks about his dreams at the very beginning, he's saying, hey, bro, guess what I dreamed? I dreamed this, I dreamed this, I dreamed this. And when his brothers say, what, we're supposed to bow down to you? He doesn't say, yeah, but you kind of, it kind of implies it. He's like, well, I'm just saying. Your sheaves bowed down. Your stars bowed down. I'm just saying. And so he's either really obnoxious or he's really ignorant. But by the time he gets to the end and he's, he's interpreting dreams for other people, he's saying, God is the one who interprets. God is the one who will tell you what this dream says. God is saying your dream means this. He now has a different center. God's healing. When we think about how Joseph says, Am I in the place of God? It's an indication that he's gone through some healing. And that's a question that we need to ask ourselves, even while we're still in our struggles and in our pain. Am I in the place of God? Am I trying to make this go away, get fixed, happen? Am I in the place of God? The, the, the rhetorical question. The answer is no, of course you're not. And so when we truly believe that we are not in the place of God, we come to a place of healing, and God's healing is two-sided. It's a wholeness that comes with both healing and freedom. The healing part is the pain no longer hurts you. The freedom part is you no longer desire to hurt the people who gave you the pain. So Joseph is in this space where he not only is healed from the pain, but he is also healed in his relationship with his brothers. And that's a, that's a hard place to get to, but it's an important place to get to. And God's work with his poetry is not finished until he can get you there. It doesn't mean that we don't have scars. But the truth is that scars are a good thing. Scars are proof that battles have their victors. Scars are proof that you went through and that you're not still in. So God comes to us in our woes, invisibly and indelibly. He comes to reorient us after pain disorients. And then finally, he comes to us in our pain to reveal himself in us. Joseph's blessing is a picture of Jesus. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. Jesus is a fruitful, fruitful son of God. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility. This is the story of Jesus. These are the things that happened to him in his life. He was mocked. He was scorned. He was abused. He was killed on a cross. 
But his bow remained steady. His strong arm stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob. It takes you back to Gethsemane when he's saying, I don't think I can do this. And he leaves Gethsemane with the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit in him that made it possible for him to endure the cross. And then by the time you get to where it says, because your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you with the blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast and of the womb, Jesus said to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. This is a picture of that. He's like, I got all of it. It's all in my hand. Your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountain and the bounty of the ancient old hills. Let all of this rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince who is favored among his brothers. Jesus Christ brings many sons, the scriptures say. He is the one on whom God's favor rests, the scriptures say. Ephesians 1, 3, and 5 says... Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. In his sight, in love, he predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. When you think about that, that's the picture of the blessing that is on the life of Joseph. It is a picture of the blessing that is on Jesus' life. Paul, when he was talking in the book of Galatians, he said to the the church at Galatia, when God who called me from my mother's womb to be an apostle to the Gentiles, he's, he's talking about God who called him before he was ever born to be who he was going to be. It says, he says, when he chose to reveal his son in me, I conferred not with flesh and blood. That phrase, when he chose to reveal his son in me, that is what God wants to do with each and every one of us. He chooses each one of us so that he can reveal his son in us. We image him in Advent We live that life so that we image him. When we take communion at these tables, we honor him and we remember him. We remember the God who meets us in the pain that we struggle with. He meets us in the space between between the third heaven and the thorn in the flesh. When we pray, we say, God, let it be on earth as it already is in heaven. And so in Advent, we are waiting for that. So as the band comes back up, I want you to really think through where you are in your life. Where does God need to meet you? Does he need to meet you in a place of betrayal? Does he need to meet you in a place of trauma? Does he need to meet you in a place where you're at the place of healing, but not quite at the place of freedom yet? Where does he need to meet you? Because he can and he will meet you. As we walk through this season of Advent, let us remember the people who are still in their struggles, still in their dark places. 
Remind them that God meets them in those dark places. He meets us in our pain. Pain is one of those things that reminds us that we are weak, reminds us that we are vulnerable, but it also reminds us that we have a God who is strong. We have a God who knows when we are confused. We have a God who is with us when we are anxious. We have a God who is our peace when we worry. And so ask yourself this week, when you want to snatch a thing, when you want to fix a thing, when you want to hold a thing, am I in the place of God? And then allow God to have his place. Let's pray. God, make this a fruitful church, a church that abides in you and trusts in you. Make this a people who will trust and depend on the strength of your arms and not our own. God, be our shepherd. As we wait, Father, remind us that we are waiting with you and waiting for you. Remind us that we are not alone. In Jesus' name. Amen.